it was a need to do it. And it may be for other people, like, it didn't matter how scary it was. The scary it was, the more I thought I need to do it to get over that. Hello and welcome back to A Sideways Live, The Honest Guide to Living and Working Abroad. This is episode 87, could you believe? I know, pretty impressive. And if you're new to episode 87, welcome. My name's Leanne. My name is Al. And welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like you wanted me to say more about that. I just, my name's Al, that's that's it. Well, if you, if you are brand new, then we are married. We have been traveling for almost 10 years now. Um, something daft like... 46 countries, 180 Airbnb hotels, etc., etc. We're currently in split in Croatia, uh, just about to apply for a 12-month visa, which, if, as Leanne said to me last night, something which kind of threw me a little bit. She said, do you know, if we don't get the visa, then we'll just move on. And that just really surprised me a little bit. <laughs> I think when going through any kind of government-led process, there's ultimately going to be bureaucracy somewhere along the line. And, and you know, I, I guess that's a thing, you know, if, if things get declined if things don't work out quite the way that you expect them to have a plan b and our plan b is simply well we've nomaded before we've hopped around before we'll just go back to doing that same old same old talking of nomading and hopping around then our guest today is a guy called luke morris um, really really interesting guy he did his very first um long-term travel um over the summer this summer which is 2022 didn't he he did, he did, and we've known Luke for a while. He's been in our lives for some time. Um, he's ace, and he actually came to stay with us back in October, which is when we sat him down to record this episode. Um, and yeah, tell us all about his his adventures. And I think what's particularly cool about it is that I think we can get a bit jaded as long term expats, nomads, and forget the um, the smaller challenges. Not even smaller, but the new challenges that people experience when they they start or dip their toe into this life so i think it's a really good insight for anyone who is thinking about starting to travel starting to be a digital nomad even starting to move abroad um just a very fresh and recent perspective on some of the likely challenges you'll experience definitely now you might notice something about luke is not only is he intrepid but he's also got a voice that is made for podcasting and Funnily enough, he does have his own podcast. Uh, so it's called Who Can Convince You? You'll be able to find it on all the podcast channels as far as I'm, as far as I'm, I'm aware. Um, really, really interesting. And it started off, we'll, we'll talk more about the podcast at the end, in fact. Let me just stop that. Let's just, because it's quite a lengthy interview. So should we go and meet Luke? Let's do it. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Hi, how are you doing? I'm okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Seems how it goes. I have known Luke for a, a, a fair while, mm -hmm. um, but we've spent the last 10 days together in Croatia. We in have. Split. And while we've been chatting and getting to know each other even better, mm -hmm. um, we realised that we have a bit of a shared love of travel. I'd say so. Yeah, so I think what would be really cool, because I think as expats who've lived and worked abroad for a little while, we tend to lose a bit of focus and a bit of... Um, I guess a bit of perspective of when things are new, how different it can be. So I thought it'd be really cool to chat to you about your experience in, experiences mm -hmm. traveling for the mm. first time. Yeah. So let's go right to the beginning. So you started traveling in July. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I came back in August. I spent about six weeks away. 
six weeks. Yes. Awesome. So let's start at the beginning. What inspired you to, to start traveling? Oh, that's a question. I've seen some of my friends go traveling. Um, some not too far, some in the UK, some went to Greece. Um, I think it's, it's someone especially at my age, 24, you're supposed to find yourself. Or after uni, you're traveling and find oneself and it's going to be great. So I wanted in on that. And I think that's what inspired me to go traveling most. And plus just a change of scenery, a real shakeup. Because I think at that young age, you don't really know how you're going to ha handle yourself in true, proper situations and when you're confronted with uh, obstacles in day-to-day -day life. Because I think uni is very... its You get lots of experiences, but not ones in like real-life situations. I think I wanted to explore those and see how I handled them. So I think that's the biggest thing. Awesome. And it was just you and your friend who went traveling together. Yes. Awesome. And his first time as well? Yes. So he actually went uh, about three weeks before I did. He went to Spain and France. And it's something that I think he his mindset was similar to mine but he jumped on it first and that gave me that inspiration to uh, jump on the trip with him which I did after about three weeks and I think I joined him in Pula. Cool so Pula Croatia so tell us a bit just tell us like roughly quickly mm -hmm. your the route that you took so our listeners have a bit of context okay. with the okay. part of the world we're talking about. So each time we're in a place we never stayed more than two to three days but we started in Pula then to split and to Zagreb because the trains and public transport all converged onto Zagreb if you wanted to get any anywhere go to Zagreb first and then go from there um but yeah Zagreb and then we went to Bosnia and Herzegovina. I can never say it I struggle as well I think it's Herzegovina brilliant that one <laughs> so there um like Mostar and Konjic and we went to Slovenia and we, uh, Slovenia is the one that's left to Croatia right mm -hmm. so we went all the way down to a place I can't recall begin with P and it's famous for its uh, cave big cave and it's right on the border of Italy so we're debating whether to go to Italy at that point, but we ended up going up and north, and I went to um, Hungary, and up to Poland, then to Germany, and then back back home. So quite quite a big loop then of that kind of central Europe. Yeah, we we wanted to go more east at the start, and just was getting more difficult and more difficult as further we went east. Of course, you can, you can go east and keep going east and you'll hit Greece, and that's in the EU, and things start to get a bit easier then with traveling and stuff like that. But um, it was just a bit, a bit of a shock, especially for me. Because starting start in Croatia, it's a bit more comfortable than we thought. Not all the time, but mostly. And it's very hectic as well. And I learned that if you ask a conductor... A train conductor, not a musical conductor. What train you get on, you'll get a different response every time. Uh, sometimes they'll talk to you like you've just insulted their child. Or 
they'll be really helpful and tell you exactly where to go. And then you go there and you realize, oh, he meant the other one, <laughs> the other platform. So, yeah, it's really, really tricky. And if you're traveling that fast over that much distance, it's planning can only get you so far, I'd say. I think we would have saved some money, especially in Germany. I think around that time, Germany was doing this like promotion thing where you can pay nine euro for a train ticket, but that covered you for the whole month and you could get whatever train you wanted for just as long as you wanted. Uh, that was a godsend right at the end. But yeah, public transport in general on the trip was a real task. So what tips would you give to people? If there's anyone listening and they've already have their trip booked and they're planning on using uh-huh. trains and buses, what kind of ticks or hacks could you could you give them? <sighs> Always take pictures of your ticket, especially if you're going to go interrail. And it's it's a wise choice, and I think they had their 50th anniversary when when they booked their ticket. Um, so it was like quarter the price it should have been. So I mean, they definitely saved money, but what you'll find is if you travel more east, you have to reserve your train ticket. And you can't do that online for some reason. You have to go to the train station and reserve it there. Oh, so if you have an interrail ticket, yeah. you can't just... Because the idea, if you've not heard of an interrail ticket, basic idea is it's usually for a month, is it? it is. And you can hop on and off any train mm-hmm. across continental Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're saying that even if you have this ticket, you can't reserve your seat on the train you want to get on. So you have to go to the ticket office anyway. Pretty much. Right. And as you said, it's busy because it's it is really busy. And uh, we missed a good few trains. Um, it sort of defeated the point. It's cheaper, yeah. But I'm there. Who, who, I didn't have an interrail. And I could book online. And that was me sorted. But we had to accommodate for going to the train station. We missed a good few trains because we didn't anticipate that line to be so long uh, to be able to reserve a seat on the train. Because the ticket was bought, that's fine. But mm-hmm. you need to reserve a seat. If you want a direct train, you'd have to go to one of the another main city. So like a hub kind yeah, of like, that's a, capital, yeah. like Zagreb in Croatia or Ljubljana in Slovenia. Yes. So even though you'd maybe gone like a few hours east uh-huh. you might have to go back west yes. and then go a few hours north uh, i think we visited conjic three times because of that. really <laughs> yeah and you said before to take a picture of your ticket why we were on a train i think it would have been uh, yeah budapest to krakow and it, it was a very long train and in we it was a night train and in the morning uh the people come on the train and ask for tickets and things like that but because it was a night train and you booked the ticket the night before the day before it must have figured that oh that train's done now you don't need that ticket anymore so then it to get that barcode on the app of oh, like what you're like t- yeah, yeah. So ticket that's it. yeah, right. yeah that expired oh. so you couldn't prove that you had a ticket because it wasn't on the phone anymore Oh, because it just disappeared from the app. And what app were you using? I don't know because I didn't use the app. I'm guessing it was like train line or something. Right. Oh, yeah, they have like a train line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And basically they were threatened to kick us off, which is frustrating because I had a ticket. I was fine. I was sleeping, but (laughs) my friend didn't. Every time I just thought, if you just took a uh, picture. Like a screenshot. A screenshot, you'll have that proof. It doesn't matter if you have internet or not. It's a very good tip. Saved us a lot of times after that. So how did you decide the kind of countries and places you want to go to? Was that kind of governed by where you could get 
a train or a bus to? Or like, how did you figure out your route? Uh, Konjic. No, Mostar would be a better example. There's only two trains out of Mostar to get to uh, Sarajevo, which is the capital of, of um, Bosnia. And it was much easier and cheaper for us to stay another night in Konjic, not Konjic, Mostar, another night in Mostar, so then we could get the train in the morning. Because if you get a train in the night, um, this happened quite a few times. If you get that train in the night, you won't be able to check in when you get to that place. Or you have to wait all day wandering around with your heavy bags um, waiting for that check-in. And that happened a good few times. And maybe planning is, is, is better. But it's hard to plan when you're... The plan you did have gets uprooted every day. Because you just don't really know if a train's going to be delayed or a bus is going to be there or it's going to be full by the time you, you book it. Um, so that dictated a lot of what we did. Uh, which was kind of fun. You never knew where you are going to end up. Uh, sometimes not so fun. Like, we were stranded in Ljubljana at like half ten at night. And we didn't really know what to do. Luckily, and I'll say this now as a big tip, Flixbus, fantastic. Because if you're ever stuck and don't have a train or something like that, there's probably going to be a Flixbus in like a couple hours. So I guess Flixbus bus is a bit like National Express in the UK yeah. or Greyhound and States maybe. So it's it kind of goes across different countries uh-huh. in Europe. So it's a coach, isn't it? It, it is a coach. from one city to another, but it can go kind mm. of across across countries and things. But yeah, I've, I've done a Flixbus, not too mm. bad. It's it not too bad. It's only a few hours, whereas I know you probably spent a lot of time a on lot it. A lot of time. Yeah, yeah. Flex, but. So do you think that's something that you perhaps underestimate was kind of the ability to, like, get some sleep on the overnights, like the trains and the buses? Was it easy to kind of get some rest? It could be for some people. Would it not be cheaper and more effective to sleep on night trains for your whole trip? It sounds good. Uh, no. If you struggle... I suppose you don't know until you actually go on a night train or a night bus. But if you sleep on a night bus or a night train, you're golden. Well done for you. It's really, really hard. And you don't wake up energized. And we found that we'll spend an extra day somewhere just because the day we got there, we were just so fatigued. We weren't taking anything in. All we were looking forward to is that check-in time, that glorious 2 p.m. <laughs> I don't know why 2 p.m. is always at that time. They want they want people to check in, but yeah. So but one it's, of those things, it seems like a good idea. It does. And I'm sure one time it would be. In theory, it's good, but in practice, it can mm-hmm. be a bit more difficult. Much more difficult. Yeah. And it, if you're doing a night train, again, you won't be able to check in until 2 p.m. So you've got to either make sure you sleep on that night train or night bus, get there at like, be get there, get there anytime. But if say if you get there at like seven a.m., you've got a long wait until two p.m. with those bags. So I, going back to your question, I think that's what dictated most of the trip is the traveling. Hmm. So where was your? I mean, before I ask that question, accommodation. Mm-hmm. Where did you tend to stay? What was your kind of budget per night? Where are the places yeah. that you got some really good deals? Where are the ones it was a bit more difficult? I think the best example would have been Poland. And we were in Krakow and we were going to go visit outfits. I think this is a big tip. Try and make sure you know how long you're going to stay in a place and book those hotels or wherever you're going to stay. 
because we were st- most of the time we stayed in like an Airbnb or something like that. And it was tricky in when we we're in uh, Krakow because it just so happened to be the Polish like national uh, bank holiday. So there was train tickets all bu- booked up, Flix buses booked up. We couldn't get anywhere. So we had to stay another night. Max said something to me, t- to me the night before when we were stressing about we, we booked outfits, tickets, but we need to stay in Congy for another day, but there's nothing available. So we'll, we'll sleep on it tonight because we had the accommodation for that night. We'll sleep on it. We'll see what, what happens in the morning. And luckily enough, quite a few places uh, were free. I don't know if because of cancellations or these people like, update their, their uh, booking information on these websites, booking.com, um, every morning. But that's a big tip. That's a huge tip. Always wait <laughs> until the very last moment to book something. So is it either that, either book it, book well in advance, yeah, or, or leave it to the last second? Yeah, that's pretty much it. In the middle. So it sounds like a lot of it, like unless you're very much like a type A personality that likes to plan everything mm-hmm. out to the tiniest detail, it sounds like you, planning kind of becomes quite fluid and a bit like, eh, see how it goes. Yeah, I think it has to be. So going from Krakow to Berlin, uh, it was incredibly busy. The ticket was a mess. He gave us like the conductor, the ticket person gave us like three tickets, but all on the same train, which is really confusing because it's all in different languages as well. And Polish is really hard to understand. So it turned out we had to move different seats and different carts on the train, on the night train. Otherwise, we would have been going somewhere completely different. Oh, because the train splits. Yeah, so oh, it's a man. night train, but we had to get up and move three times in a night because the train train splits up and goes to different places. So I guess in that scenario as well, you're not getting much sleep because you're no, conscious no, no. of like time and. And you've got to. How can you plan for that? You'd have like to know that the train was going to split up into three, and that you'd. So it's tricky, and then the train was delayed by forty minutes, which is quite rare. I think. This was in, yeah, there was a train going to one of the places that we had on our ticket and we were so tempted to get on that train and that was the one instance where we talked to a conductor and he was not happy. He said, go over there, go over there, go over there. But obviously not in English, but <laughs> and probably use some swear words, but um, we were so stressed. And did we just wait? Half an hour goes by and like, I think we've got to cut our losses and just descend this. And yeah, the train was 40 minutes late. I don't know how you plan for that. Like you can only plan so much on a trip like that. And we definitely didn't help ourselves because it was so rapid and moving so quickly. But that was kind of the point in the trip. Like we didn't want to plan it like a holiday. Like we knew where we were going to be in like six weeks time. We didn't. That was great. And I loved the idea when we were in Mostar that we booked another night in Mostar. We only thought we'd stay a day. We ended up staying three because it was a lovely place. And we're at that point where we're like, did we go south, north or east, Italy, Greece, or keep going the way we were going? I love that. That's great. You just don't know where you're going to sleep the next day. It's stressful, and I bet some people would really hate that. But it is very exciting. And you, you kind of... I did achieve that on the trip. So all the stresses and woes that you have back at home, 
all that's out the window when you don't know when you're going to sleep the next night. And that's great. But you know you've got that that buffer. It's like if anything goes really wrong, like when we were stranded in Ljubljana at half ten, and it's that Flix bus that wasn't there to pick us up. <laughs> and, we, and there was no other places in Ljubljana to stay at that time. We couldn't check anywhere. So we only had a very, very few options on booking.com or whatever app you use. Um, a place that we could stay. And those places were very expensive because they had to be places where it has 24-hour check-in. Otherwise, we, you just couldn't check in. I guess that's quite interesting what you said as well there. So that if you are arriving late somewhere on a train or a bus, you might be limited to places with a late, very late check-in mm-hmm. or a 24-hour check-in, which is going to be probably the bigger places and more expensive. Mm-hmm. And I get what you said, you know, that I guess the trade-off of of kind of that stress of, of having this unknown also gives you that flexibility. So if you really like somewhere, you can stay longer. And mm. if you get somewhere and you don't like yeah, it, you nice can thing. move on. Yeah. Like Mostar, it was amazing. We we had that ability to to stay there. Where I think if you planned the whole trip, or at least like a week's worth, you couldn't have the possibility to stay there because you knew you've either already booked tickets or booked hotels. And that's definitely what we didn't want to do. I don't know what Mostar, I'd never even heard of Mostar. And to go there and decide that I want to stay another day, that's amazing. So let's talk about destinations then. Yeah, so where on. was your favorite place that you went? Oh, I'd say it has to be Mostar. Yeah. Because it is one of those places that you've never heard of. And once you're there, you you just need to know everything about the place. And there's so many nice people there. And they're so open about it. In like that Bos- in Bosnia, I remember staying in Sarajevo. And at that point, that was our last stop in Bosnia. And we were having a conversation with our, our Airbnb hosts. Airbnb hosts. And we were there sipping a Turkish coffee. And we, an older couple. And they were talking about how, it, how lovely it is to see tourists through here. Because the Yugoslavic wars were only 20 years ago. And uh, the older man, um, he'd been in it. And it must be so difficult to think at that time, 20 years ago, that life would ever return, return to normal. And you've got someone like me, a uni student, you know, having their jollies in Mostar. With much respect, obviously, because it, it's... And that's why I liked it so much. It's very strange, very eerie. Like, it, it's... The whole place looks like the war ended yesterday. There's still bullet holes all over the walls and, and uh, the damages from bombs and things like that. So if, if anyone's listening and aren't familiar with Mostar, so Mostar mm-hmm. is in Bosnia and Herzegovina. It's actually in Herzegovina, I think, isn't it? Like the south bit of, it was, of Bosnia. It, it's tricky to know the ge- geography there for me. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I, but no, don't I think don't right. hold me to it. But yeah, there was. It's basically the the war resulting from the breakup of Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. um, which was countries that used to be united, like Slovenia and Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, Macedonia, Montenegro, mm-hmm. and yes, yeah, so this was like the late mid to late 90s the country was it was it war and it's hard to imagine isn't it particularly now in you look at ukraine and the thought of kind of like you say it must be so hard to imagine life going back to some form of normality mm-hmm. so how did that make you i guess what did you learn from being in that that type of environment i guess the museums and things like that you go to in the uk about world war Two, they have a different feel to them like it's, it's very much more it's much more commercial, um, but you strip that all back 
And in Mossler, you're left with the core information and the core uh, facts and stories of what people went through. And it's what I mean, why I think it's, it's more accessible, like war museums, stuff like that in, in the UK. School, school trips do go there, don't they, in, in to that. What is that place called in, in Media City? Uh, the Imperial War Museum. That's the I one, think, yeah. yeah. So more accessible in that the UK museums are more accessible or the Mostar well, is more accessible. No, the UK, just because you'll have school trips there and, and you know, right, it's... Right, it's yeah. Obviously it's respectful, but I think it's more like a... It's more digestible, I guess. I think it's because it's quite distant. I know it's it's fairly recent history, the Second World yeah, War, for sure. but... You know, for yeah, that we didn't, does factor we weren't into alive it. through it. No, you know? that is a factor for sure. Obviously, you don't have that documentation as you do now in like the nineties. Um, but I was just taken back by you'll go up upstairs into this other room in the, in the the genocide museum. And there'll be a TV there, and it's just showing some horrific things, things that it, it doesn't warn you about. And I love that because it puts you in that in that mentality of this happens horrific things happen and there's no warning for it and i love how that museums and museums in that area really put you in that in that environment of it's just horrific and we learn so much in that museum and museums going through uh that area and, and going up to um all the way to poland you'll we found that that Unfortunately, a lot of the history of these countries is genocide or wars that they've gone through. And especially in Mostar, it's the city's caked in just history of that time. Yeah, it's and very I, visible, I, isn't it, on the buildings? Yeah, and, and I bring it up just because it's something to be wary of. That when you go and when you want to go to these museums and explore these things, and when something so recent like the Yugoslav Wars, uh, that ties all of that area together. Um, you just can't help but find that you're still learning about these things. Even walking down the street, you'll see these bullet holes, and like you, it's a constant thing that you that you're reminded of. And by the time we got to Poland, obviously the war switched, and we were talking more of the um, Holocaust, and we went to Auschwitz. And I must say, it's very emotionally taxing. It's very draining. So what made Mostar your favourite place then? If it, as you say, it kind of was this kind of quite real and vivid yeah. account of the war and, and quite emotionally draining, mm -hmm. what counterbalanced that to make the Mostar people. your... Really the people. Yeah, the people. And that's why I loved it so much. It's like, this happened, it feels like yesterday, but you'll be able to speak to anyone. And they just seem so content with where they are. And they love where they live, and you, you, when you're there, it's a, it's just beautiful. It is an amazing place, um, and it's such a strange, the old town. I, I didn't experience much of the, the more modern area of Mostar. But with the old town, there's a river that goes through Mostar, and obviously the, the famous the old bridge connects both sides. Um, but one side is, uh, one religion. And the other side of the river is another religion. And it's really strange to hear those two sides coexist. And you'll see the people walking in the streets of like that religion showing their um their beliefs. Um 
just walk through the city. You, like it's, it's one of those rare places where you that I went to on the trip. It's like when you just walk down the street, that place and the culture is just everywhere. You learning so much, and it, from somebody who comes from Wales, that was a a big shock and big change and it was a very good one as well i'm really glad i went there and to, to go to a place that i never really knew existed um because you go to a place like libyana and i felt like it was very much more modern city uh the cultures there it felt very enforced not very natural like they'll have these shows on and, and theatre and this artwork that you, you'll see walking down the street and everything's so clean. Quite commercial. Right, yeah. And I went there soon after Sarajevo, which was a huge, like, culture shock. Like, it's a completely different mindset, different way of living. Um. So, yeah, I just found that I had a... The authenticity, the people, yeah. the art, yeah. I really vibed with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So where where did you not vibe with so much? Uh, <laughs> I'd say Budapest, Hungary. I think we were just unlucky. The the place that we were staying at, um, it was a hostel, and it was just so dirty. It was so grim. It was nasty. They had like turnstiles. You know, turnstiles you get at a train station. We had to scan your ticket and go through. They had that at the front door but you had to scan your card on your way out and way in. And I think there was a power trip there. They kind of liked the fact that they had to scan you in. They had to wait around for a minute before they can let you out. And plus, it's very, very busy in a very, very big city. And I think we were just unlucky with that one, but I definitely would not want to go back again. Fair enough. Fair enough. other places we just don't, don't vibe with. So, I mean, you mentioned that, I guess what I'm curious of, when you first started talking and you wanted to kind of go to to Italy and to Greece and more kind of westernised countries yeah. and you didn't end up going, were you ever kind of a bit scared or intimidated going to these places that you'd never really heard of? Um, not really. Because before I went on the trip, I was very scared. To do things on your own, like to go to an airport on your own. And on that plane, I was just so worried that I was going to Paula. I was like, I've never been to Paula before. But then just, I think after Paula, it's more like, I have no idea what's coming. And that's great. And he would have thought that I would have had a much better time in some places than I would do in other places that sound great, like Berlin versus Moscow. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. If someone asked me which one do you want to go to, Berlin, I had a great time, Moscow. Like, I love that, not knowing what you're going to vibe with. Um, and it definitely kept that that energy going throughout the trip. It was like, we don't know where we're going to go. I need, uh, like, there was a once a week at least, I'd have a day just in the hotel. Just stay in the hotel with my iPad, I'm quite happy. Because I need that energy to keep going. Where if someone would get that energy, you know, an extrovert and get energy from meeting people and traveling and stuff like that, I think. That's great. But you really need to, and it's hard to know before you go on a big trip like that, how you're going to react. And that's it's nice that I knew afterwards how I'd react and how, what I need. And when I'm traveling or going to a new place, I do need that, you know, once a week 
that rest uh, really nice that kind of loops us back to to where we started and was going to be my my final question you said that you wanted this to kind of be a a find yourself trip mm-hmm. and it sounded like you, you got an amazing sense of of um a nugget of yourself there like mm. you say you need this kind of day a week for a bit of self-care and a bit of bit of recharge what yeah. else did you learn did you find yourself no I think, it's, I think that's baloney. I don't think you can go out there and find yourself. I think it's rubbish. Uh, but it's just understanding yourself more. And if you put yourself in more situations, especially difficult ones, you'll get to know what your reaction would be. And there's lots of things on the trip where it's like, I'm really gutted I, I didn't live up to my expectation of what I want to do in that situation. Um, maybe it's as simple as acting, asking a train conductor, what does this ticket mean and where do I go? Um, there's a few times where I just I didn't have the energy anymore to do that and speaking to people was getting really difficult. Did you think, think it helped you get those like really out of your comfort zone experiences kind of like you said yeah. just finishing uni and yeah and I, I got yeah I did get those experiences but it's just comforting to know that it didn't matter where I was or who I was interacting with that wasn't the the thing that scared me it was more if I'm stranded somewhere, I won't be able to get my energy from any. I wouldn't be able to have that time alone. And that, if you're, when you're traveling, you, that's a long, especially with someone else, it's a long time with someone. If you're especially not used to it, it's a long time with one person or you know, a group. And people do traveling groups, and apparently it's a great way to save money. I wouldn't know. <laughs> Um, but I, 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 before I, I met up with Max, he went you know, to Spain and, and, and France and, um, he said it was great at first. He went to hostels because that's the plus with traveling with someone else. Um, if you book a hotel for a night, it's split between two of you. So it's cheaper. So it ended up being as much as a hostel would be, but he traveled alone. So he went to host, hostels at first and you'll speak to people and share dormitories and, it was great at first, but at your 10th hostel, meeting people again, it's the same questions all the time. Where are you from? What do you do? Why are you here? Are you out to find yourself? It's like doing this podcast for 20 times, I'd imagine. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and he said he was done with it. So, yeah. so done. And he got his energy from, but we were at that similar stage at that point because I'm an introvert at heart and I do get my energy from just having a time alone and he was at a point where his energy was drained with socializing and stuff like that and he needed time alone so it was nice but if you're going to travel with someone it's really tricky to know how how that's going to go and i think i travel with max because i knew i've knew, known him all my life but i've had invitations in the past to travel with someone who i've known just in work and you never know how that's going to go and you need to I think that's what got me through traveling to each place. Not only like that, not knowing it was exciting, but more if anything did happen, that person's got my back. Yeah. And I could not imagine traveling alone. I knew that before I went, but that's what the trip confirmed to me. Go go on a plane alone, I can do that. But to travel to these different places and, and hearing the horror stories that Max had before I got there, I just couldn't do it. And that's fine. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned on the trip is like being content with what I'm capable of and comfortable doing Absolutely. and seeing what I've achieved, even though I know they're my, my flaws or, or 
um, maybe not flaws, but just things I need and I'm still able to travel. Um, Because during lockdown especially, I would never thought I'd be traveling like that. Um, But that's what I wanted to get out the trip. Other people might just want to see things and explore the world. And that was never what I really wanted. And I think that's why I got fatigued so early on. I say early on, it's about five weeks in, but I'm I'm sure like you've been traveling for a long time. Obviously, you're having those stays for and where you are now, and like in um, split for like a year. But that was only after you've traveled quite a lot over the last few months, and how draining that must be. Yeah, I and think it is. is, and we've I think you know we chatted about that before in the podcast, and we with other um, guests, as you say that that kind of rapid travel moving constantly is fun. It is great, but it takes a lot out of it you. It does a lot out of you. So I think yeah, that that I think a lot of people who travel for a long period of time get to the point mm-hmm. where that kind of slow it slow it down mm-hmm. a bit. Um, but that's the thing as well, you know, it's exciting and you're 24 and you've got the energy and um, I think it's awesome. I mean, what would you say to, if there's anyone listening who is in their maybe late teens, early 20s, who are thinking about traveling, but mm-hmm. just seems a bit too big and scary? Um, I'd say start small and don't plan for a six week. If it's too big and scary, for me, it was like, it was a need to do it. And it may be for other people, like, it didn't matter how scary it was. The scary it was, the more I thought I need to do it to get over that. But I'd say start small. Like, I've barely traveled the UK. And you can get a lot out of, I reckon, traveling two weeks around the UK, staying in these places. And it'll, it'll tell you so much of what will help you if you go inter- internationally. Um. But I, there's no beating around the bush. It's a, it can be a nasty thing. <laughs> it can be, and it can be such a headache. But it's worth it when you go to this one place, say Konjic, and you look out your window and see this amazing view of mountains and a river. And you're like, for that, those 10 minutes, it's all worth it. And you don't really remember that, how you got there because you're so exhausted. But you know in this moment you'll remember that. Because I don't remember the, the night trains that much. I don't remember the public transport. But I do remember those moments of where I stopped and looked. I think that's... And you can take those back with you. And that's why I didn't bring back souvenirs, because they're all up here. <laughs> they're all there. So, yeah, that's what I would say. And if you're not sure on it, start small. If you are sure on it, better luck to you, because it is... It, you don't know what's coming, so there's pointless worrying about it. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really refreshing to to hear about somebody's experiences um first time um yeah that was cool yeah he's just i like how he approaches things that he knows that some things aren't going to go right some things are going to go well and then when they don't necessarily go right he kind of sees the positive in it which is which reflects back to and maybe i think episode 83 or 84 we talked about being lucky um and i think that that was really that's you know so if you are thinking of doing your first longer term travel sort of like two weeks or more i hope that you learned loads of stuff from him and i hope also you go to bosnia and herzegovina because such an amazing country as he points out it really is and i think that the headline for me is that this type of life can be challenging and things can go wrong but it's all worth it for that one moment where you realize where you are you breathe it all in and remember ah this is why so if, like us, you 
fell into some kind of hypnotic trance listening to Luke's silky voice. Then you go and find him on his own podcast, which is called Who Can Convince You? Started off talking about Doctor Who, I think, hence the name. Um, and then kind of episode 50-ish, he sort of pivoted a little bit more, realised that him and Harry, who is his co-host, uh, make a really good comedy double act. And so they've started going more into the irreverent world. So they're talking about, um, I think they're talking about Denver International Airport. No idea what it is, about to listen to the episode. And then they also talk a little bit about the subway guy and what he's doing in prison. I think I know which guy he's talking about, and I don't think he was a great guy. Um, but it'd be interesting to hear what they think about it. And uh, and also, there's <laughs> I think they've got something about Lonely Hearts columns. Really, really nice lads, both from Wales, um, just really down to earth, and such a great show. So search it in your favourite podcast app for Who Can Convince You, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Lovely. So we'll see you lovely people next week, the earlier day of Thursday. <laughs> um, and yeah, get ready if you've been frustrated with our infrequent posting of late. Fear no more. We're embarking on podcast on Thursday, day one of 25. Podmas. Podmas, what did I say? Podcast. Podcast. Podmas, yeah. Yeah, check out last year's if you want to know what it's all about, and we'll see you on Thursday. In a sense, Essence is 25 days of us every single day for 25 days in the countdown to Christmas. Yes, you lucky, lucky little bastards. So, we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.